you gotta take the leap and take the jump at some point to make it work. So we said no, they call us again, we said no. Finally the third time you get your producer called and you know said we'd be making a, a big mistake more or less if we didn't come on the show. This was about a month and a half into our business. So we said My name is uh, Jim Salikas, and I am the co-founder and co-owner of Cousins Maine Lobster from a small town outside of Portland, Maine called Cape Elizabeth. Now live in Los Angeles, where I run and operate Cousins Maine Lobster with my partner and cousin, Saba Momak. Is that how the name came about? Yeah, it's not the most original name in the world, but it gets to the point. When we started, we didn't really know what we were going for, so we went with the fact that we were cousins, we were from Maine, and we were going to be selling lobster. Where were you selling lobster? You know, the first place that we actually ever sold the role was in Los Angeles. I was living in Boston, working on med device job, medical devices, and my cousin Sabin was in Los Angeles selling real estate. And I kind of came out here to visit him, have a vacation, and we decided we wanted to do something together. And when we landed on this idea, we we basically said, well, let's start in Los Angeles versus the Northeast because the food truck explosion was happening already in LA. And ultimately, it wasn't nearly as accessible or affordable to get this amazing main lobster product that we had. So we started uh, out West. Is there a particular reason it was you went for lobster versus hot dogs? Yeah. I mean, the main reason is M-A-I-N is because we're, we're from the state of Maine. And that's when, when you think of, you know, oranges, you may think of Florida. But when you think of lobster, most people think of Maine. That's kind of tourism and, and lobster is what the state of Maine is all about. And that's what we grew up with. And, and every, you know, it really kind of brought us back to our roots. That's where our family weekends were spent, whether they were pool parties or barbecues or holidays, they always had lobster rolls or steaming live lobsters that were just steamed and out of the pot. So that's kind of what we knew growing up. You go to visit your cousin in LA. Do you still have the other job? I did. I came out to visit him in 2011, the latter part of 2011. And I was still working my medical device job, which was an amazing job. I had security. I had, you know, the constant paycheck. I had all my friends and family between Boston and Maine. But Sabin and I, my cousin, you know, we just kind of hit it off and reconnected to four years before we had gone to college and then kind of split ways for a few years. But we just kind of had this amazing connection again and had, had a great time and the rapport and the humor was the same. Our work ethic was the same. And ultimately we decided that we didn't want to work for other people anymore. And that, that was kind of something that was a commonality between the two of us. Did y'all have any food experience before this? Uh, not, not really. Sabin actually worked in at Morton's and a couple other high-end restaurants in New York City as he was in college, but I wouldn't call it an amazing food experience. He was in the, f- the food industry, but uh, you know he wasn't cooking and he wasn't back of the house. Did you come up with the idea with the name right then and say, hey, this we're going to do a lobster food truck and you tell your parents and what were they thinking? No, you know how it actually happened is we were sitting up at Sunset Boulevard at a, at a nice sushi place and he was kind of showing me LA and uh, we had way too many drinks. That's like when the creative ideas come to you and literally mixing everything. And, and at some point we just started talking about our family again, his grandfather and my grandmother and cousins back home growing up and kind of reminiscing on those childhood days and what family means to us. And we're both very loyal people and, and family driven kind of mama's boys in that way. As you talk about family, we started thinking about the, the younger years in Maine and it was about lobster and being together and kind of that whole joy of family lobster and kind of love. It sounds cheesy, but that's what we were talking about. It kind of one thing led to another like, well, hell, what, what could we do? You know, what could do some sort of business around that product and uh, around something that our, our family would be proud of. 
we woke up the next morning. We're like, oh, is that a good idea to be selling lobster? Didn't know if it was going to be out of a food truck or out of a restaurant. And then I flew back to Boston that next day. And I kind of just stayed on Saban and he kept calling me cross country. Like, you know, was that something we should develop more and think about? And ultimately we did for the next probably three or four weeks bat around the idea. And then we said, yeah, this is what we're going with. And, and the reason that we chose like I said, lobster, it, it reminded of, uh, us of our younger years. The family aspect was cousins, you know, but family, what everyone would be proud of and supportive of, and obviously at the core of who we are. And then we just kind of developed it. And the name just came about because I needed a placeholder on the top of what I was doing on my iPad as what this project was. And that was it. You make the decision, hey, we're going to do this and you fly back to LA and can you tell us how much money you have set aside to live with and how much money you're putting in to get started? Yeah, we probably developed the idea across country, you know, myself in Boston and Saban in LA for probably the next six to seven months. And he came to Boston a couple of times and we would spend time up in LA, uh, excuse me, up in Maine looking for our, our source or providers who's going to, where we're going to get the meat, the bread, the crab, the soups. And ultimately that was kind of the, the next seven, eight months of our lives while we were still working on other jobs. So it was late nights at Starbucks across the street from me or early mornings and those phone calls as well. And then one thing led to another where we decided that we had to figure out if it was going to be a food truck or a restaurant. So Saban did the diligence out in LA. He stocked the trucks. He talked to the owners without them necessarily knowing. He watched the lines. He counted the people going through them and looked at the events. And we said, it's a lower investment. And with the food truck, we can get to the market. So we said, hey, if we come with an amazing product, a great brand, something that we thought we would be able to really build strong, we could get to the people. And then we could have a real assessment of, did they love it? Was there high demand? Uh, would they want us back? And if it didn't work out in a certain area, we could move the truck. And if it was great, we could go back. So that's how we set out with the food truck. Yeah. And I think that's really important. What you hit on is that the calculations that you're doing when you're debating between restaurant and truck, were you leaning one way or then both of y'all just said, Hey, let's just do the numbers and figure it out. Or can you tell us the difference a little bit more? Yeah. Numbers are very important and they worked to us in the beginning. And we, while we didn't claim to know what we were doing with this business itself, we clearly weren't in the food world. We had never done our own business. We did know how to run a business because you know I was kind of running my own medical device business within a corporate setting. Saban was his own representative for real estate. So we ran numbers, we ran pro formers, we got all costs and expenses that we think we would have. And then we projected what revenues would be. So first of all, the food truck for us was a lower investment to get in. We each put in just a nominal amount, about $20,000 that we had a piece that we had saved from our jobs and, and just kind of being you know, aware of our of our cash flow through our other uh, jobs. So we did that to get in. That basically got us the truck. And then with the numbers that we ran, you know, the, the big thing for us was, hey, we didn't want to go into a restaurant that would have a 10-year lease and hold you to the amount, the crazy amounts uh, of monthly lease out in Los Angeles. And again, the big thing was we wanted to be able to get to, um, LA is a big area. We wanted everyone to be able to try our food, try our food, eat it, love it. Tell us what you you know, like and where you want it to be. And we would thought that we would get a real kind of understanding of the business, what people liked. And that really proved to be true. So that's why we chose the food truck model for a few reasons in that instance. But certainly the numbers were, were very important and something that, you know, everyone should obviously run before they start a business. 
Could you tell us about maybe the first month or two whenever you actually had bought the truck? Did you remodel it yourselves? How did that work out? This was kind of going to be a passion project. I was going to stay in Boston. Uh, Sabin was going to continue to do real estate. He was going to maybe work with the manager that we hired to run the truck. And I was going to stay and kind of do the supply chain on the East Coast. And we were going to say, hey, we have something rolling down the streets in LA that's about our family and, and the state of Maine that we grew up in. And that's cool. But as we started, probably about three or four months before launch, you know, the truck was being built. So you, you buy a truck and then you have a company basically rips it apart and renovates it just like someone would a kitchen. And, and literally, I mean, good analogy because they're, they're ripping apart a truck, a FedEx truck, a Cape Cod chip, chip truck, and they're putting a kitchen into it. So that process was happening and it was a cluster as, as anything is when you start something new. I mean, we were, we were late as late could be to the final delivery date. The day that we opened was April 27th, 2012. We had a dinner schedule. We didn't even have the truck delivered until like noon on that day, which means we had all of our staff, not one person had been trained. No one had stepped on the truck. We hadn't loaded anything from equipment to food to utensils to pots, pans. I mean, you name it, it wasn't on the truck. We didn't even have a POS system because we didn't think of it because it was so last minute. So we had on that very first night, we finally get to dinner. We were about an hour late for opening. We had a line of about 75 to 80 people standing outside and Saban and I were just kind of working the crowds, you know, talking about a good start. I mean, we're sitting there giving out free lobster, talking to them and they were all very cool because they understood this was new. They had seen it on Urban Daddy that morning. So there was a, there was a lot of hype around it. So they were, they were very pleasant and understanding. But when we opened, we had eight people working on our truck. As a frame of reference, we now for the busiest days have three. Our POS was an old school, you know, cash register because we didn't have a real technology. So we just found a register on the way to, on the way to the event. So we sold the crazy amount. People were thrilled and through the roof. And at that time, I remember on the first night, Saban kept looking at me like, when are you moving out here? When are you moving out here? Which for all intents and purposes was very premature. It was the first five hours of business. But if it was any indication of what was to come, which it was. Now we would have to make that decision whether we cut the cord with other jobs uh, and go all in on Cousins Main Lobster. At that point, how did y'all do that first night? Did you end up positive? Because it sounded like you're giving away a lot of stuff too. Yeah, well, we we did give away. I mean, you know, you cut up lobster meat and it goes a long way, but it's a very expensive product. It's not like giving out, you know, chicken or pasta, hot dogs, pizza. So we did. We ended up positive. We did about $7,800 in sales in four hours. And that time, again, we didn't, we didn't even have an accountant. We, I mean, those, that week that I was out here for the opening, we would be going home on Saban's apartment because I wasn't living out here and we'd count the cash on his floor. It's like we were like counting drug money or something. <laughs> right. We emptying out the, the bank bags, counting the money, putting it on the table. You go to bed, you wake up to all these, you know, bills of cash that we'd be putting into a bank and we didn't know what was coming in, what was going out. We just knew it was, it was coming in and this seemed like a positive uh, thing that we were doing. All in all, it sounds like everything went pretty well. Can you tell us when you decided to move out there and what happened? Yeah, of course. So it was actually the night before we opened that we had... Uh We've been doing some organic social media. We had a couple hundred followers, maybe. Sabin was posting about us as kids back home in Maine and the lobster industry and bringing that authenticity of what our business would be about. We don't know how it happened, but we had an email and a phone call from the ABC show uh, Shark Tank evening before we opened. So fast forward 24 hours, we go have this great night. We come home and we, we email them and, and uh, eventually get on the phone with their producers and start walking through the process. And they say, hey, you know, they had reached out to us. They wanted to just go on the show. They thought it was a good product, a nice business or a good potential for the show. And long story short, over the next four or five months, we, uh, excuse me, over the next four or five weeks, we said no. We said no twice. We don't want to go on there. Our business is in its infancy, literally. I mean, we hadn't even opened for a couple of days. We didn't know what it was going to be doing for sales. 
Never mind, we would have had no history to, to right. you know, validate evaluation. Mm-hmm. So we said no. They called us again. We said no. Finally, the third time, the executive producer called and you know said we'd be making a, a big mistake, more or less, if we didn't come on the show. This was about a month and a half into our business. So we said yes. We shot the show in a, uh, July. So I flew out for the show uh, in July to Los Angeles where we shot it. And the whole time business had been going on and the business had been great. We had one food truck, we're doing a lot of sales and there was a lot of hype around it. And then our airing was set to air in October. And so, you know, I've been working my medical device job in Boston, literally stepping outside of the operating rooms to like catch a phone call on my cell phone and going, Hey, cousin's my mobster. How can I help you? You know, trying to handle catering calls and bookings because that was what I did from the East Coast. So it wasn't certainly the best thing. And it came to a point where, you know, I'm a very honest and ethical person and I, I was still doing my job very well, but I knew there would come a time I had to choose one or the other. <laughs> yeah. And with the area of Shark Tank coming up, I went into my uh, boss's office. You know, I, I sent my letter of resignation from Panera Bread in early October. And I went in shortly after and just followed up with them and said, Hey, you know, you're, you're going to be seeing me on national TV explaining a business that I've been part of for four or five months, you know, and told them straight out. I'm like, listen, originally it was just an investment and something I was going to do in my free time here because, you know, my free time is my free time. But just like them, you know, you got to, you got to take the leap and take the jump at some point to make it work. Cause if we stayed in that middle ground, it would have been just that it would have stayed a passion project and probably would have driven itself through the ground. So they understood and they were very supportive. And, you know, that's when I cut my ties in early October and moved out to Los Angeles uh, in early November. You shot in early July. So at that point, had you already come to a conclusion on Barbara put in money for it? Yes. So we, um, at the actual shoot, we, we shot it for a little bit more than an hour. So what uh, viewers see is, you know, maybe like an 11 or 12 minute pitch that they edit down. They don't let you stop throughout. I mean, they just shoot the whole thing and then they, they edit down to make it for TV. But yeah, we, we targeted Barbara actually. And I know it sounds too good to be true, but we had, uh, we'd done our research, a lot of it on all the investors and really identified Barbara as a lady that was on the other side of her career in the sense of she didn't have a, you know, a million things going on with her real estate company she did when she was a little bit younger, or, you know, she wasn't like uh, Mark Cuban with his hands in so many things at that point of his career. So we said, well, maybe she could have more time to dedicate to uh, her entrepreneurs. And ultimately, on top of that, she'd worked with food businesses. She seemed like she could literally be a second mother to us. And she just kind of had that vibe. So we really did go after her and we secured the deal that day on TV. And it actually remained as what you saw, 65000 for 15%. And she's been a godsend. It's been awesome. She's She is just like a second mother to us. We, we socialize and joke around without any you know business at times, which is just good because it shows you the, the quality of the relationship. And then in terms of what she does bring for the the marketing aspect or the ideas within our business, the experience that's just, you know, unheard of. And of course, the exposure um, that she's been able to get us uh, has been priceless. Did you bring up or ever think about if you didn't do it? And I guess beforehand, when you've been asked three times, I mean, I haven't even heard of that. I didn't know they <laughs> even went out and reached out to people like you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's certainly, it's a small group of, of businesses that they do. I think they reach out 40 or 50 groups a year or so. And yes, we have played that game over and over. I mean, I, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. but you know, I look at where our business is now and we're grateful for and humbled by the opportunity to have the exposure that has certainly allowed for us to share our story and our business and our platform with millions of people in one shot. And not everyone has that opportunity, but you know what? That being said, there are a lot of groups that do and they still fall flat because they don't have the right product or the right uh, infrastructure or the right kind of business mentality to make it happen. Just because you're on TV doesn't mean <laughs> you're successful. 
doesn't mean that you're going to do millions of dollars in sales or, or, you know, right off into the sunset. It's still, it's almost, you know, more difficult because you have a target on your back of people saying, Hey, I've seen this on TV and then you go try it. And their, their expectations are so much higher than if they just went into Bob's lobster and said, Hey, it was okay. Or yeah, it was pretty good. So we fight that all day long. So it's, we're so grateful for it, um, but it's still very, very important to execute. It's not just handed to you because you go on TV. So yeah, we think about that all the time. We're, we're grateful and, and happy that we did obviously do that deal. And uh, ironically enough, <laughs> when we did it, you know, you give up like your baby. You're, you're two months into business and, and we did that. We, we took us a year to celebrate, to go out for a drink and share a martini and say, hey, you know, look what we've accomplished. And the Shark Tank deal is pretty sweet. Because when we first did it, we're like, oh my God, did we give away too much of our business? And we've only been open for two months. And what does this mean? You know, you're second guessing everything. And you kind of got to let it play through a bit to, to see where it goes. Can you give us a little backdoor look into that process when you actually did Shark Tank? When did you get the money and contractually, were there things that you had to go through left and right and make sure everything checked out? Yeah. I mean, l- listen, I think that it's safe to assume that uh, most of these contracts for big networks or any big corporate business heavily favor <laughs> those groups, right? So the, the contract was, I think it was like 50 pages long. Every lawyer we put it in front of told us not to sign it. <laughs> yeah, but that's, Did they say why? Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're looking out for you right. and, and the small business. And ultimately, when you have a contract, it's kind of uniform for all those shows, right? So it, it, things in the contract read like, yeah, then we can paint you how we want. We can listen in on you and so on and so forth. Now, that wasn't applicable to Shark Tank because you show up, you do your shoot, you're on set and you leave. But it does sound familiar to some of their other shows. You know, the, the Bachelor, the Bachelor have those types of gigs, but they have kind of one contract for that. So a lot of lawyers in protection for us. And I think most people admit it. So, you know, they'd say, hey, we, we wouldn't sign this. But if you want the opportunity to go forth, you sign the contract, which which we did after closer assessment and understanding the differences between Shark Tank and other reality shows. And then ultimately you go through the process of the application and your previous, you know, kind of resume and jobs and, and who you are as people, uh, what the business is, what the product is, why, you know, why you think it's going to be a great fit for the show. You submit a little video. I think it's changed. I think it's a little bit longer now, but we submitted like a five minute video of, again, kind of our personalities, the food, um, you know, what we're all about with family in Maine and what our, what our drive and motivational kind of tickers were. So we did that. And then we went through the process. And finally, when we were, um, they said, yes, you know, we've got you on a shoot date. It was just, we, we showed up. can't remember the day that we shot, but we were supposed to go earlier in the morning. We're like, great. We have our food. People are going to be hungry. The investors are going to be hungry. And just like anything else, it gets backed up. And then it came to lunch and they have the union lunch. So they had to break for lunch. We're like, shoot, still haven't gone. Now they're going to come back. They're going to be full. We're going to go. They're not even going to have the, the hunger. So they're just going to say, hey, whatever, this is no good. Sure as, sure enough, we, <laughs> we went like 20 minutes after lunch and our concern was such that food doesn't taste as good after you've just eaten. So uh, we passed it out, but uh, everyone loved it. The, the, the main role and the Connecticut role that we served, all the judges really loved the food. So the feedback was amazing. So it was kind of that back and forth of you, you wait and you go. And when you're in there, I mean, it's, you know, you walk out, you kind of take your mark. You're 25 feet away from the judges. It's much closer than it looks on TV. And, you know, they try and freeze you. They kind of make it quiet for a couple of minutes and they just look you in the eyes and probably try to make you kind of fall off course and test you. But then someone says go and we start our pitch um, and we're off to the races. And then uh, after that, it's into the green room. Once you do your deal, uh, yay or nay, and uh, you're back on a bus to the hotel and going home. I guess right then, you know, you're a Barbara. Can you tell us about when you actually got 
money from them? Was it all at once? And what were the first kind of changes that you started making after you started talking to her? Yeah, sure. The um, I think the due diligence uh, period was probably about a month or so for us. I think for some people it can go on for two or three months. Ultimately, the shark is going to want to make sure that what you said on TV and that your books and everything check out, obviously, and vice versa. You want to do your your diligence on on them and the deal they propose to you and make sure that it's still a fit to sign on the dotted line. And, and once we did that contractually, then it was funded. I want to say about a month, month and a half later, uh, we got the funding and signed signed the deal with Barbara. But she was to work right away. I mean, we didn't even have the deal signed and she mentioned us on, I believe it was The View. I remember being back in Boston at the gym actually and watching it. So it was, uh, you know, she. I think if she has a good feeling on something, which we've obviously come to learn, you know, she trusts the people and her gut. So, you know, maybe she knew that deal was going to close pretty easily and it behooves her to pump the business because it's obviously going to be the better we do, the better she'll do. So right away, I would say, you know, two months after the show airing, or excuse me, shooting, um, Barbara, she was right all right all in, hands on. And, and it was everything. I mean, we had a, an e-commerce aspect of our business where we shipped live lobsters and lobster mac and cheese from our location in Maine to your door overnight. And so she got her hands right on the packaging and the marketing. And, you know, what is that message that's being delivered when the customer gets it? Then she actually was looking at the truck, right? The artwork and the food coming out and what the customer is receiving in their hand. And then from the business side, she always had in the back of her mind that she wanted us to franchise the business and scale it because as amazing as one food truck was at the time in Southern California, this food truck could be amazing in any city throughout the country. You know, so that that was kind of her big business goal in that sense early on um, that didn't come to fruition for but a couple of years. And then it's everything from saying, hey, like, what are these things that we're trying to accomplish and how are we going to do it? And whether that's going on the Today Show or having a five page spread in Entrepreneur Magazine to, you know, talk about these types of things with followers and fans and entrepreneurs, or whether it's uh, writing a book or uh, increasing our relations with our team in Maine for the supply and the support, all those things basically uh, we would work on with her. Could you talk about the franchising? Because that seems like for some people, it yeah. might be difficult to let go if you're just having your own food truck and being able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for the first two and a half years of business, we, we, took our time and we tried to do methodically what we wanted to do to prove the business. So we had a, a food truck corporate owned when we started in Los Angeles and we grew that to four corporate owned trucks in LA. And at the end of 2014, I mean, we started it in early 2014, but by the end of 2014, so almost two years, two and a half years in the business, we started franchising the food trucks, which was a relatively new concept. We actually didn't know many, if any other groups that were food trucks that franchised. But we did so because we had so many requests to say, hey, we need you here. We need you here. You got to come to, you know, whatever city these people would be emailing and calling from. And it never stopped. So we said, okay, well, in our opinions, and to Barbara's point, the best way to get to a new city is to have someone that is local, feet on the ground, grew up there, has been there for you know, 10 plus years, know the insides and outs of Raleigh, North Carolina, or of Orlando, Florida, or Nashville, Tennessee, and they're also vested into the business. It's what they they live and breathe and die for, and they're going to make it work. So the alternative was doing a corporate truck in Raleigh where I would hire someone on Craigslist or however I find them, and I would pay them a salary. And I hope that they would believe in the business as much as Saban and I do and don't wake up hungover and, and that they, they schedule the truck and care about it for their salary that they make each year. We just didn't really believe in that model. We wanted someone that was, you know, this was their livelihood and, and they were locals. And that's the route we went. And it's it's been amazing because when you look at our franchisees, it's everything I just said. You know, they they know 
the, their local city, like we know LA, like I know Portland, Maine, where I grew up, like, you know, where you're from and everyone knows kind of their hometown. And that allows them to have a network and a Rolodex and connections, um, to have the understanding of where to go to book the truck when they get it in their city, you know, how to infiltrate that market where I would not know that I would need to spend a year learning how to drive around, you know, Raleigh because uh, I've never been there before, you know, just like I did when I moved to LA five years ago. So that was one critical component. The other piece is they're vested into the business. You know, they buy the truck and it's, it's a new entrepreneurial venture for them. So they want to make it work. This is their baby now. And for us, yes, it was difficult. You, I remember we still, when I went to the first opening, you know, you spend two or three days there and you're seeing a brand new staff that you didn't hire, uh, but you're sitting there with our corporate team training them and you spend time with a franchisee and you have these long lines and every it's jubilation and everyone's excited. And the fans like, Oh my God, I can't believe you came to this city. So it's like, unbelievable meaning to my cousin and myself to see that there's the demand and support and, and kind of love for the business in all these other cities. However, when you get on the plane ride to go home, <laughs> it's kind of like you're literally like, just like, okay, you know, you cut my cord. It's like, you're leaving, you're just doing that. You're leaving your baby. I don't have any kids, but I imagine that's what it'd be like. Um, you know, so, uh, and then, then it's up to the franchisee to uphold the standards uh, of the brand uh, and how we support them to do so. Uh, have you had ever had any issues with any of the franchisees? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think, I don't think any system's perfect. And I, again, I, and I say that whether that was a corporate run business, you know, you can look at, you can go into a Starbucks it's, um, or you can go into a franchise, Chipotle, or you can go into a franchise system and you can say, oh, well, is the franchisee not operating the way that the franchise would want? Or you could say, hey, did the corporate manager just roll in and was lazy today and not carrying out the way the owner would want? Um, so I don't think any system's perfect and, and preface that because, you know, for us, we sold 10 right away. We didn't sell 100, we sold 10. And what we know now is far different than what we knew three years ago when we we're vetting a candidate of who we want as a person, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a business person, and how they'll carry out those standards or not. So yes, we have had franchisees um, that have been unbelievable performers. We've had some that you know just weren't right for the business whether it wasn't right for them, um, whether the, the market wasn't as ripe for the picking. And, and those are things that are skill sets and uh, inherent in who the person is. And we learn those things in fairness to franchisees and ourselves. It might've been their first go around and maybe it wasn't right fit for them. And, and in fairness to us, maybe, maybe we didn't you know, see those things that we do now um, that make for the most success and happy franchisees uh, and ourselves. So yeah, we've de definitely had people that you know, probably said, Hey, you know, it wasn't for me, shouldn't have done it. And, and ourselves, we can sit there and say, well, you know, looking at it now, we might have some other criteria that we assess now that we didn't then. Part of the reason I bring it up is maybe someone who's listening, they're like, well, damn, it seems like Jim, it's been perfect ever since month one. You know, <laughs> so I'm trying to see if there's any negative stories or no, failures no, no. where you where we can where an entrepreneur who's yeah can yeah. learn from either maybe doing a food truck or just any entrepreneurship experience in general. No, hundred, hundred percent. And I don't, I would never mean to paint it that way. Like, listen, you go start your own business. It, it is the challenges that come through the, yeah, I mean, they, they come at you the head on and the obstacles. It has not been all rosy and, and dollars falling from the sky by any means. You're, you're building a business. And when we were building our corporate business for the first two years and understanding how to, hire and fire and train a staff and, and do the insurances and the accounting um, and, the, and the bookings for the truck and the catering, all of that we learn. And then right after that point, year two, we said, well, why don't we start a new business within a business, which was franchising, which is a whole new business, even though it's still within food trucks, it's night and day. So you're learning things again and, and being self-taught and we're reaching out to experts of people that 
we don't know the answers, so we go and learn them. And as you do that, you obviously find yourself in predicaments and situations that, again, what we know now with experience, we didn't necessarily know then. So yeah, you, you definitely come into issues, whether it is with franchisees or the system or whether it's with vendors or shipping or banks, you know, there's all kinds of things that you have to work through. So you just kind of got to, you know, have a balance of how much you take on and and want to grow versus stretching yourself far too thin. Um, But yes, there are definitely uh, obstacles and challenges along the way. Could you give us an example from one of those areas, maybe like a vendor or for example, if someone was said wanting to get in the restaurant business and having no experience, kind of like you did at first, could you walk us through any stories that or, or things that you learned that you thought you knew and then figured out you didn't? Yeah, well, dating back to the very beginning, you know, we didn't know what we were doing with accounting. We didn't have an accountant. We didn't have a CFO. We didn't have a bookkeeper and cash was laying around and it would be going into the bank and then we'd be paying for things. But we didn't have any system in place until my father, who was uh, accountant by trade, said, you know, what are you guys doing for this? And we said, doing for what? And so then he kind of came in and took over the books as a, as, a, as a hometown discount, I think. But the amount of stuff we learned from him and now we have our accountant in L.A., it's those types of things that we didn't know anything about accounting, but how critical it was for what money you're bringing in, what's going out, how you manage your money, your cash flow, because, uh, you know, is it going to a new truck? Where is, it, where is it going? Is it going to insurances? I think so. So the accounting piece was obviously critical. And when we didn't know something, we would go to the expert. Fortunately, then it was my father at the time, whether it was Barbara or whether it was, uh, you know, other people we've been fortunate to meet along the way, other business owners of how to you know, how you're hiring and firing people and building a team. I think one of the other big challenges we had uh, when we go on Shark Tank, everything comes your way. So vendors that want to do, they're going to improve our shipping and our insurance costs, and they're going to cut out this person and we're going to build you a new website. We're going to do your marketing and digital and collateral, and we're going to bring your sales from X to Y. The amount of time that we wasted on that type of stuff, chasing those things that we're going to save whatever. Uh, a nominal amount on shipping each month. You go through the ringer with these guys over and over and over again. It's exhausting and it pulls you from focusing on our core business, which at the time was just book the food trucks and do sales. And nothing ever came of those other vendors. And, and most often not, they never did beat our current prices or our current setup that was you know really working well for us. And then, you know, again, with within the franchise system, you're always as a franchisor going to battle the franchisees, just like when I was a sales rep at Stryker, are always going to want to do well and they're always going to want to do better. And how that is in running their own business, whether that is them doing more sales or them cutting costs in certain areas or us as a franchisor coming back with you know good news that lobster prices have come down. I mean, it's a market price, you know? So there are things that we're held, held to, obviously, in terms of our support for them that we always want to continue to improve their system because they, they always want a better, better situation, which understandably so. So you fight that day to day and work with them on it to try and make, you know, like I said, the most happy and successful system. Well, speaking of day to day, like, do you have daily routines? What is it like now compared to what it was like before you were in Shark Tank, what you're doing on a daily basis or weekly basis? Yeah, well, I think in the beginning, you obviously wear a lot of hats. I think that sounds a little cliche. It's a startup. You wear a million hats, but you do. And it was me and Sabin originally for the first couple of years. And, and we had one lady who's been with us since day one who was doing our social media and kind of then she just came on full time and she's just doing all of our truck scheduling and booking. And one of the guys also with us from day one does all, all of our prep kitchen work and, and truck management and operation. Um, so it was a really small team. And we, and we did all these things that would focus on the corporate 
core business of the food trucks. So we did all the, like I said, the hiring and the firing and the, and the write-ups. And we did the training and the manuals and the food processes. And I did the catering and the invoices. And, and so you kind of do all those things in the beginning. Now, five years later, you know, we certainly have more infrastructure. We have two franchise coordinators in-house that are day-to-day responsive and supporting the franchisees from inventory controls to, you know, what they can be doing to improve the system to just overall support of morale, conversations, staying up to it and helping them with vendors and issues and and, uh, things that they're experiencing as they build and grow their business. We have an in-house social media uh, consultant that does all the franchises' uh, social medias. And then there's Saban and myself. We have uh, two other people in, in our office that basically work on kind of the marketing, PR, catering services for corporate. And ultimately, you know, what Saban and I are doing now is we've allowed to have our team grow a bit so that we can be more involved. Uh, the franchise is a huge part of our business. So we really focus with our franchise coordinators and the franchisees say, hey, how do, how do we make this better and always have this, this train moving forward? And then we meet with our, our corporate managers as well and sit there and say, well, you know, what are we improving with the restaurant or the truck corporately? And then really task them and work with them to go implement it. So that way we can really work on kind of growing and, and managing the business with our team. What do you see for the future for you in particular, or maybe Cousins of Maine? Yeah, well, we um, we just about two months ago started franchising the restaurant. Um, we had a restaurant corporate owned here in LA for about a little more than two years now. So it's kind of the next wave. Food trucks are amazing. It's where we started. It's our, it's our blood, sweat, and tears, and they fit really well in a lot of markets, but not every market. Um, obviously, there are markets with snow and rain and seasons, and then there are truck markets that just aren't friendly. Uh, they don't, they're not yet evolved enough to where they have you know, really granted trucks permission to, to get where they need to do to do sales. So with that in mind, um, we started franchising the restaurants that may fit better based on either a candidate's profile or the market itself. So we are expanding that way. Um, we've already got about three or four set to open this fall and winter in 2017. And then um, but we expect over the next three to four years, we will definitely want to be continuing to sell uh, the food trucks. So it'll be the truck and the, and the restaurants that will provide uh, more growth within Cousins Main Lobster. We appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. In closing, what's the best advice you might have for a young entrepreneur who's looking to start their own business? And if someone wanted to say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way to reach out and say thanks? Yeah, for sure. I always kind of fall back on this that I think no matter whether it's like a speaking event we do or a staff meeting or something within the franchise or a piece of advice, I say that if you're prepared, you have nothing to worry about. And it may sound, uh, again, a little cheesy, but for everything and anything that we've applied that to, whether it was Shark Tank with writing out hundreds of note cards on each investor and the questions and knowing our business and how to answer potential questions we get, we went in there very well prepared and confident. And we knew that whatever came to us, we would be able to handle with reason and and rationale, um, provide an answer. And if we are well taught and well learned for the franchise system. And if we reach out to all of our experts and we learn everything about franchising as we go and before it happens, then we're best suited and fit to answer to franchisees and to understand how this this whole thing works. And that's the same for anything that we do. So if you are prepared, you know, I think you really don't have too much to worry about and have chances for success. 
And then uh, in terms of reaching out, obviously CousinsBayMobster.com. There's all kinds of links on there based on which city you'd have interest in. But the, the corporate email is just orders at CousinsBayMobster.com. And the phone number is 855-855-4265. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, Jim. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for checking out another episode of Millionaire Interviews. We just wanted to give you a quick public service announcement. We may be experimenting with taking down episodes a few weeks after their release date. So if there's any interviews you haven't heard yet and you think you might want to listen to them in the future, then we suggest going ahead and downloading them right now. I'll explain our thought process on this again later on. But since I'm such a great guy, I wanted to make you aware of it right now. So as always, thanks for tuning in and go ahead and get your download on.